The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now when Jesus heard about the death of John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus is one of us, and then he is always more. One difference between Jesus and us is that Jesus has compassion. Compassion is the merciful predisposition to love others more than self, to sacrifice my life for the life of others, to abandon my good for the good of someone else. This distinguishes Jesus from the rest of us in both holiness and perfection, in both nature and in practice. Because Jesus does mercy willingly and perfectly. To see how different Jesus is, all we need to do is look out the window. Today, the distinction between Jesus and us is more obvious than ever before. We are a people divided, and we are also quite sure that if my side could just have its way, then things would be fine. Of course, the data says otherwise. As one scholar has observed, there are about 3,400 years of recorded history. Of that, 3,166 are the stories of war. And the other 234 years are the stories of preparing for war. So no one anywhere at any time has really gotten it right. One reason for those assaults is that we are not naturally people of compassion. Those who turn the other cheek and lend to those who cannot repay and pray for our enemies and do good to those who hate us. 
as Jesus famously described his own mission in the Sermon on the Mount. Instead, we quickly define our opponents as enemies, as evil and subhuman, and not even fit to live. This is part of our original sin. By nature, we are not people of compassion. And we never have been, and without divine intervention, we never will be. By nature, we are people seeking power, because power seems to offer a fix by bending others to our own will. But power only works until it doesn't. If you recall a bit of Balkan history, you might remember how when Tito died and Yugoslavia eventually came apart, the world was naively surprised that people who had been forced to live next door to their enemies took the chance to pick up a gun, walk across the yard, ring the doorbell, and when the door was answered, shoot their neighbor between the eyes. Power doesn't change us, at least not for the good, because power works from outside, not inside. It always fades and fails, only to be replaced by more power which after a time fades and fails. So goes the recent history of Lenin and Hitler and Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot and Kim. And now will that be us too, letting our hateful world spin down to decay and chaos? And if not, what could save us? In a word, only compassion, the divine, external, otherworldly forgiveness of our Heavenly Father, revealed to us and practiced well in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, as atoning love, as life predisposed to the good of others before self. You all know that Jesus was rejected in an exercise of raw power against innocence. And then he was crucified as an inconvenient threat to the status quo. But today in the gospel, we meet Jesus in the days before his execution. Jesus has been on a walkabout through Galilee, cleansing lepers, calming storms, ordaining apostles and banishing demons, sighting the blind, speeching the mute, and healing a man with a withered hand, resurrecting a little girl from the dead, and returning her to her grieving father, and telling parables about a kingdom filled with gifts, filled with generosity and patience, and lavish mercy. In reply, at his birthday party, King Herod beheaded John the Baptizer, 
and then served John's head on a platter to his wife as a party favor. It was an obscene gesture of power. When Jesus heard that his cousin John had been murdered, he fled in grief and exhaustion to pray in a desolate place. And this is where we find Jesus today. But the crowds, so needy and so unloved by their own political and religious leaders, followed him. This is a very dangerous moment for Jesus. The more he helps them, the more the crowds misunderstand him. Once before, a crowd even tried to make him king by force. That explains why Jesus was later executed by their leaders under a sign that mocked him as king of the Jews. But today, Jesus still takes the risk to love them. By evening, the apostles have had enough of the work and the crowds. So they ask Jesus to curb his compassion. And Jesus replies by giving them more work and more crowds. Feed them, Jesus says. All we've got is five loaves and two fish, they reply. Bring them to me, Jesus says. And then Jesus takes and blesses and breaks and gives, and the crowds eat, and they are satisfied by his divine self-giving love for them. A love so strong that when everyone has had their fill and is satisfied, there are still twelve baskets left over. And so with Jesus there is always more. In just a moment, Jesus will recreate this miracle of compassion for you. At this altar, Jesus will again take bread and bless and break and give, and you will eat, not fishes and loaves, but his only innocent, executed, resurrected body and blood. And you will be satisfied you will be full in body and mind and spirit. And there is more. Here, his compassion becomes your compassion to forgive you and to change you and to send you out and to use you in this sinful world just as he used the apostles as this meal presses you into the divine image of Jesus Christ, the one so generously displayed in the Sermon on the Mount. Precisely how that divine image will shape the work of your own life, I cannot say. To live Eucharistically is to live from the mystery of the altar. So how your life or mine plays out will always be a bit of a mystery, too. But I can say this about you. Jesus' compassion cannot be held inside and inactive. Compassion is not a coward 
It wants out, and it wants to go to work. On Easter, compassion left the tomb for a new life in a broken world. Compassion wants to heal and feed and satisfy. So how you live in this world gone mad must express and not repress. Number one, Jesus' love for his heavenly Father, who is now your Father. And number two, Jesus' love for the crowds, who are now your crowds. As we go out from here, we are meant to see each person in every crowd as a child of God. And we are meant to remember that our Heavenly Father wants all his children home again. Like the disciples, you may be tired. Okay. Withdraw for a moment, if you must, for a solitary day of prayer. But very soon, expect Jesus to interrupt you and to say to you, you feed them. And even if all you've got is five loaves and two fishes, don't despair. Because with Jesus, desolate places are never really empty of blessing. With Jesus, there is always miraculously more. Your power, and you have it because of your station in life, has now been formed by divine compassion. So do go out from here and get busy, mercifully and in the image of Jesus Christ our Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.